What ails you? Hourglass Brewing. Take one. God, I really hate this fucking song. Okay. Um, Oops. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here we go. Then put your little hand in mine. There ain't no Hourglass Brewing. Take two. Yeah. Why are we playing this, this, this oh, song, man? Quinn, what? come on. Okay, here we go. Then put your little hand in mine. Hourglass Brewing, take three. Okay, Quinn, I'm going to cut you off. Before you say anything, we swear, sorry, audience, but you should know we swear. And uh, here we go. So we're just going to cold cut. We're going to start this episode with apparently Quinn's least favorite song. Yeah, I don't like this song. What? Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? Happy Groundhog's Day. Yeah, like a weird Bill Murray movie. Welcome to What Ails Ya, a podcast about beer, the people who make it, and the ultimate question, what ails you? Why do you hate that song? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, there's just something about Sonny and Cher, duets like that, Tony Orlando and Dawn. Pff, I don't know. Just. That's it? Yeah. I mean, maybe in time I okay. could get into it. I don't know. It's just not me. Okay. Well, yeah, maybe time will pass. And actually, hmm. good transition. Very good segue. All right. So where are we at this week? So. We're going into a a place called uh, Hourglass. And if we remember last week's episode with Garrett over at at Red Cypress, if you haven't listened to it, definitely listen to that episode. Because only about a few miles down the road, we're going into now Longwood, which Hourglass Brewery time. And we were able to kind of have a tasting last week with Matt and Michael and to sit down and meet them, try some of the things that they're doing and walk into a tap room where we're geeking out. The second we walk in, it's it's dark. It's got its black walls, but there's a TIE fighter hanging from the wall. And the illumination of the TVs that show what is actually going to be on tap. Thank you, Untapped, for powering that. And then you got you actually get to see where TVs where movies are showing, things that I grew up with. We're yeah. geeking out to that. Board games, Xboxes, you know. It's like, honestly just a really fun environment. And like, you know what I love too? There is an there is a a little art gallery tucked away in the corner yeah. where you get to see geeked out artwork. And this this month is Star Wars, and I of course I did. I geeked out with my C three PO tattoo. So yeah, no, yeah. it was fun. Yeah, and the the tasting that we got to do with these guys was really great because we got to know a little bit about them and about the brewery and about the community. Because again, like tying it back to last week, if we think about a brewery as essential to a community. I love the community that they have at mm-hmm. Hourglass. And guess where they live? Miles from the brewery. Yeah. That's their home. They live there. It's not like, well, I got to commute 20, 30 minutes. No, they're right there five minutes away with their families, and they know who's drinking there, the regulars that are there. And the it's regulars. not just the beer community that's there. Not right? at all. People yeah. go there and drink beer, but like they have game nights. They have lots of fun stuff happening there. Uh, what else do they do? You do fun stuff there. Yeah, so I noticed you know, that you'll see... There's a comedy night. There, there's bands playing. So there's these flyers that are up there. And hell, honestly, go get a go get a burrito and a taco from Waco Taco. And then you also are able to go to Papa B's. That's going to get their... Now, here's a hint, guys. When you go there, little tip from us. If you're going to get their chicken wings, get them crispy. Because that they are supposed to be the best chicken wings in Orlando right there. Noted. So, right. I got to yeah. check it out. Yeah. There is so much going on. So many beers that are on tap. 
These yeah. guys make a lot of beers. And this isn't because we haven't spoken to them yet. It's just I've noticed every time I've gone in there. Yeah. Why are there so many beers? In addition to that, the community that they represent to each other is really, really embracing. Yeah. Uh, so when I was speaking with Matt and Michael, you know, we talked about how, how they want each person that works there to feel included, whether it's the volunteers that are helping them out, which sounds like they have endless support, which is amazing. But on top of that, it's... The fact that if you work there, there's a good chance you've actually gotten to collaborate on a beer with them. How important is that? That's amazing. Yeah. I think everybody that works there feels super invested, and it's awesome to see them grow as a result. And I like seeing that, especially when I know there is this expansion happening, and I will really tap into that. Yeah. Um, we need to talk about this third expansion that they have, because I remember when they used to be smaller. Mm-hmm. Now there's this. And man, on the rumor mill... We're expecting a lot of big things coming up in the next few months, and I'm excited for them. I really am. Yeah. All right, buddy. You ready for an interview? I am, because honestly, the more we talk about it, I'm going, let's find out. Let's find out. Yeah. And let's let's do that. So I'm ready to go in. All right, man. Okay. Good luck. All right, guys. Just to start off this conversation, I want to see, like, what's your favorite Bill Murray movie? And... Is there one? Could there be one? That's tough. He's uh, he's done so many ridiculously good movies over the year, but uh, over the years. But I'm kind of partial to Life Aquatic. Okay, yeah. Um, I know that's probably kind of a hipster answer, but no. So Matt, <laughs> I love that one. My wife would probably agree with you on that one. That is her actually her favorite Wes Anderson film, and just Bill Murray in that. I think Rushmore was probably my more favorite of the right. bill murray but no there was something in with him in that one like it was more i feel darker yeah yeah it's... definitely a darker for him even though rushmore brought that out <laughs> i'd like to give a more highbrow answer but it's definitely ghostbusters yeah yeah and that that does that it's fits. extremely quotable and the character i identify with well yeah yeah <laughs> So, so we talk about Ghostbusters, and let's 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 do a tour of uh, the, the tap room. Then, um, well, let's first actually start off with this. Isn't the first tap room you guys had, right? Correct. So yeah. let's let's talk about 2012 when when uh, Hourglass opens. Were you guys here for that? Or uh, no, no? Uh, neither of us were here. I originally was a volunteer over at the old location. Okay, uh, became their brewing assistant after about a year of volunteering between there and here. Um, so towards the tail end of what was happening over there, I was starting up and we kind of helped launch this facility. Matt came in pretty early on in the game over here as well. And then eventually we moved up to the head brewers. Taking we, over. We share the status. That's nice. Head brewer. So we're yeah. kind of a gruesome twosome team. First met, um, met everybody over at the old place. Uh, I came in and, Brett, uh, one of the owners, was the only... He was bartending, and I was the only person there, and we got to talk and had a lot in common. Um, and he found out that I brewed and asked me to bring up some beers, and it just kind of went from there. So we, we come in here, and when does this location open? Uh, this was September. Uh, it's been... It would have been two years ago, uh, the very end of September. Okay. And let's let's take a tour here, because you have a lot to see. Uh, you, the other location was maybe what, 15, 20 people could fit in there. Yeah. That would that be that? Fit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, our internal bar space is probably 10 to 15 bar stools. And okay. there was additional seating outside and a lot of people really dug our, uh, concrete beer garden out there, but it was definitely 
our little hole in the wall uh, neighborhood secret kind of vibe over there. And dog friendly there as well. Because yes. I'm gonna use as mm-hmm. well because yeah. I know this patio here is yep. is dog friendly. Most uh, definitely. We definitely are able to use like utilize this place when we have our corgi meetups for the Central Florida <laughs> Corgi meetups where we bring the puppies here. And uh, so again, this is now 200. How many people can fit in uh, this tap room? Our capacity is 240. 240. So you yeah. go, you go much higher. And so let's again look at this place because really it is a geek's palace. Uh, action figures. We have we have Dale on on the wall. Um, Bowie on the wall, Stranger yeah. Things, the alphabet up there. Yeah, our owner, Brett, is a super toy collector. Um, when they actually originally started up the original location, he sold off a number of his toy collection. Um, but obviously a lot of it remains in the tap room. We got yeah. Stay Puft and He-Man and everybody else up above the bar. Um, at the old location, the guy, Jeremy, who does our can art now, had originally, if anyone had been over there and seen all the drawings in the bathrooms and on the walls, mm-hmm. that was his art, and he's kind of brought that over to our can design. It's, it's so kind cool. of a hangover of that, but uh, he was originally a bartender over there, and now he's doing full-time art over here for us. And Matt, do you geek out at all? Is there anything that do you... I, I do. Um, yeah? Probably not as much as, uh, as some of the other folks, um, but growing up, I was a big Ninja Turtles fan. I mean, I was born in the first half of the 80s so okay um, yeah that's that's definitely uh was a big part of my childhood um i like all the same stuff as everybody else probably just to a, a little bit of a yeah, not quite as uh as fanatic about we're it. a little tamer than some of the other folks here but we yeah. definitely grew up with it i mean my childhood was saturday morning cartoons and mm-hmm. i had a toy collection to be envied but it just I sold it all for music a lot earlier than that. <laughs> I think we all did that, right? Because yeah. people yeah. are shocked still. I do still have a lot of my toys, uh, my Star Wars collection. I know I have my He-Man collection, but I sold a lot. I mean, my mom handed over. is like, look, we're moving. Take everything. I even got the piano. I don't know how. Uh, it was either you take the piano or we're getting rid of this family piano. And that's where my toys ended up being. <laughs> like, display them. Yeah, I was we, like, I'm not playing piano. My brother and I held on to Star Wars the longest and... Those obviously held a lot of value, so uh-huh. we yeah. paid a lot of band bills over the years with Luke Skywalker. A, yeah, I, I still have too many toys, and I think it is time. I think it is time to sell off with more, more endeavors that are coming, and I love this place. It, it, you come in here, and it's fun to be here. It really is, and if people, like I'm saying, take a tour because it's so big. You have such an open space. There's enough to have a live band play right there if you need it. You're, you're, you have screens and TVs that are showing... Uh, geeky films or like Comedy Central's on. Just yeah. you know, you've seen this episode. You don't even need to have the audio on because you have music playing. You're so familiar with the movies that you already know the dialogue going on. The Goonies is on, or like you said, Ghostbusters. Right. You don't Nostalgia need it. Nostalgia intensive. Yeah. And you, you know, you have <laughs> Tie Fighters hanging from the ceiling. It's awesome. So now people are getting this vibe of shit. It's it's going to be geeky, and so. Does this pair up with a lot of your beers? So I definitely want to talk about the beers. When we start off at Hourglass, when, how many beers were there to start off Hourglass, I guess, in the old location? Do you the know? old location, I think we averaged between having three and five on at the okay. time. Uh, it was a pretty small production or a three-barrel system over there, so it's equivocal to about six full-size kegs per batch. Um, so they would turn over pretty quickly and... Keeping up with production over there was pretty difficult. Right. Um, 
especially as things got more popular towards the end. When we come over here, we've got a 10 barrel system. We kind of have the cooler space and the ability to turn over things a lot more quickly. Obviously, we've added on the 20 barrel expansion. We're getting ready to do a third phase of expansion. So now we average between 20 and 25 beers on and then some bottle release projects that we have the time to sit on and right. um, put in barrels and all that kind of stuff. So. We've grown a lot in beer selection. Uh, I think actually when we launched here, we had two beers on from the old location. Okay. And, and which the majority one, which of, one of those, do you remember? Uh, I know one of them was our uh, original black IPA. It was a recipe that I worked on over there. Nice. And, um, Lime and the coconut. Lime and the coconut was like kind oh, of the okay. early Berliners from the I previous that. beer. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about bottles. How about you? Uh, we have a congratulations uh, for Matt. <laughs> We see a bottle that's, uh, we'll talk about the fridge too, but I'm looking at the, the wedding saison. <laughs> a, congratulations. Thank you. And uh, how'd that come about? So uh, let's discuss uh, that wedding, wedding saison. Well, uh, basically that one is um, a beer that I made specifically for my wedding, um, yeah. which was, I, I sat down in one of our meetings one night and told everybody I was going to grossly abuse my power <laughs> and, uh, and I was going to make um, two beers for my wedding. Uh, one of them was going to be one for me, and then one was going to be one for my wife. Um, I've always liked wild beers, and uh, and specifically saisons. Um, I'm also a big fan of kumquats. So okay. the wedding saison is a pretty straightforward um, saison uh, that we fermented in our oak fooder with. Um, we have our own kind of special blend of traditional and wild yeast. Um, and with the the one thing that was a little different about this one is I went out to. Um, I forget the exact city, but there's a, a kumquat farm over um, in the Tampa area. So I went out there and got um, a lot of kumquat. <laughs> Devotion. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it was a lot put of that kumquat. in there. Yeah. It was, um, the idea was kind of to like a hybrid Saison um, mimosa type of thing. Um, kept the gravity a little bit lower. Not, um, we actually got fairly good efficiency. So um, ended up at, I think, 5.9%. Um, but the idea is to have something we could drink throughout the day for the reception. Okay. And then the other one was, um, for my wife, was All the Love. Which, oh. um, she is a an IPA fan. Um, and especially uh, double IPAs and, and triple IPAs. So um, knowing beers that she had liked that we had done along the way, I kind of picked out um, some hops that I knew she liked. Um, so we've got Galaxy and Mosaic, and then um, two African hops. Uh, one that used to be called J17, now it's called African Queen. And the other one is um, Southern Passion. Okay. So it's just big fruit notes. Um, you know, not very bitter, but at 8%, uh, I think some it got some people uh, to have some fun at the, yeah, at the reception. Surprises people. <laughs> An Imperial IPA. Yeah, and I thank you guys for letting us taste that uh, last week, because that is a really... And you, you talk about African hops. That's, that's crazy that we're, we're looking at African hops. And is that something most people are doing, do you feel, or is that? I think we've sort of led the charge on it in Florida. I'm not aware of too many other people that yeah. have dug into that realm, but we're kind of always keeping our eyes open for the opportunity to play with unusual ingredients. We kind of split our focus between what's immediately available here in state and especially like super regionally. Um, but we also obviously look to influences. We're both pretty big history nerds and uh, cultural influences and mythology and all that sort of influences a lot of our beers. So we look out and kind of find 
oh, no one's ever played with that before, or we found this thing, and I don't know what it is. Let's experiment. <laughs> awesome. Um, awesome. So we were fortunate enough to kind of be crawling through the web, and I came across a forum where a home brewer in South Africa was dabbling with some new experimental hops and made a friend online, created a contact over with the farm that was growing them, and got to have a first-hand experience with pretty much strains that only a couple of breweries in the U.S. I think have used at all. They're starting, those strains are starting to become a little more well-embraced now. We're coming up on a second hop season actually here in late February now okay. where we're hoping to play with a couple more new ones good, we've got. So, uh, yeah, we're very excited about that. Our it Fatty Boom Boom Triple was the one that kind of like hopped off real fast. It was a triple IPA we did with completely African hops and it was like drinking a glass of passion fruit juice and I love it that. blew out of here at 10 and percent almost. So people were, and again, caught a little off guard. They seem to drink very, very easily. Right. Um, so but. we have to give people a little bit of warning on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the first Don't time do three we, in a, yeah, row. a couple of our double and triple IPAs, the hopping profiles we've been using. We have to kind of give people a warning up front that, you know, it's going to two of these in a night. It's going to do. Yeah. 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 yeah, and when you when you pulled apart the hops and smelled it, was it different? Did you did you notice a oh, difference yeah. right when off the bat? Right, immediately sure. cutting up. We had to actually write a letter to get them through customs. Really, they smell because so they're yeah. They're, well, they're just com- they're a hop. They're not super familiar with them in certain areas, and they're coming from Africa, so right. people always get a little sketchy about bringing in any foreign plant or animal material. Because you, so. you hear customs, <laughs> yeah. any vegetables, any yeah. turtles. <laughs> so, but we actually when we cut the bag open, it was just. They described when they were talking to us about them, like walking through the fields, it just smelled like a fruit grove. Oh, that's awesome. And it was immediately, as soon as you opened the bag, I was in the cooler and just popped it. And even in the cold dampness of the, that area, it was like just an explosion there. of that's awesome. fruit. So, so yeah, we're very happy to have those. We talk about history buffs. What was it like growing up? Let's 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 start off. Where are we from? And uh, let's get to know you guys. So, Matt, you go first. Where are you from? Uh, Original. I, I was born in Puerto Rico. Okay. Um, Okay. After just a couple of years, um, my family moved up to Massachusetts, uh, outside of Boston. Um, when I was 19, I moved out to Oregon to go to school uh, out in Southern Oregon. Um, Bend area, Eugene? Or... Uh, down in Ashland. Ashland. Uh, okay. Yeah, SOU, uh, Southern Oregon University. Um, and that's actually where I did my first brewing. Um, At 19? Um, no, that oh. one, I was, uh, I think I was 21. We'll go with 21. Okay. That's, that's nice and legal. Okay. Yeah, um, no police here <laughs> looking around. But yeah, that's where I first kind of got into it. Um, for sure there was, uh, you know, I had been drinking Sam Adams and, and things like that in, uh, in Boston, um, and really liked it. And, um, but when I moved out to Oregon, I started drinking things like Deschutes and, yes. um, and also, uh, caldera brewing mm-hmm. um they have an ashland amber uh named after the town i was living in and that's to this day one of my favorite beers oh that's awesome good um and then from there moved to maine and then vermont or uh, new hampshire and then vermont and uh now i'm here why here <laughs> so i mean you're all the way up in the north on both ends what what brought you back was it like uh, i might go back to puerto rico but well, no i stopped in orlando three winners in vermont uh that'll do it Okay. I, there, I was okay. up there for one of the snowiest winters on record and one of the coldest winters on record. Um, I worked at IBM up there for a little while, and I used to have to be at work at 6 in the morning. And um, 
So when it snows three feet and your boss tells you that the weather is never an excuse to not come to work, you'd have to get up at about three in the morning and uh, shovel, shovel, straight. and then the plow would go by, and then you get to shovel again, and um, and then you know I was driving a little Saturn at the time, so I fishtailed my way uh, the ten miles into work, and then had to walk another you know ten minutes once I got there, since it, the parking lots were so big. Oh, it's about negative thirty. Uh, you do that for a while, and you're kind of ready for a, uh, a nice warm place <laughs> and how about you michael i'm the townie i was yeah. born and raised in winter park and okay pretty much grew up around here um worked in the recording industry for a while after college okay and kind of split off to do this later on worked for my father in between uh some kind of a jack of all trades what's he do what's he's do? a tax attorney okay uh he's been in the area for he's still practicing actually i think he's up past close to 35 years now. So. Wow. Yeah. But I think that happens here for a lot of people in, in Florida. I mean, I've been here for 42 years of my life. I've been living in Florida, bouncing around uh, Miami Beach and all around. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's been good to us. And I think Jillian and I have been wanting a lot to move to Oregon, as we say, a lot in this. But, um, again, we find out so much about beer here that it definitely said stay, talk to people, learn the beer here. And it's been it's been amazing, and I, I love meeting everybody. And my main question always is like the, every every episode has what got us into beer though. So you're having, I guess, moving into Maine. Sam Adams might do it, uh, and you were brewing back. You know, at, I like the idea of 19 because you don't have to be <laughs> 21 to make beer. You really don't. Know every component you could actually pull and say. I'm making beer. I'm not even 21. You could be 10 if you knew how to the science of it. But Michael, how about you? Like, what got I you? I actually beer? started drinking a little later in life. Uh, we did a lot of traveling as family, and again, that kind of speaks to that historical and cultural influence. We did historical reenactments and all that kind of stuff. And so, as I did start drinking, I took a little more of an approach. My father was born in Belgium. Uh, my grandmother is Belgian. They came over when he was like two or three years old. So it's in your blood. So yeah, that was really the first influence. Was like living around UCF, Big C's is over there. They have a bunch of Belgian beers on the shelves. Started drinking the Belgian stuff, trying to own the heritage a little bit, and got more into that. I was in a band at the time, so Do you mind reached me out. What band? What it band? was Empyrean. Okay. Yeah, we were like a prog metal band functioned for like 10 years on and off but uh awesome that's good yeah it was fun Any we albums? had a lot of fun yeah. yeah we had two albums and a couple of little u.s east coast tours and that kind of stuff but uh reached out to um global beer network and they actually hooked us up as a sp- the have golden drac sponsor us that's awesome so that that's was a pretty big influence on a lot of where we started drinking and kind of diving into American craft beer through the European side of just what was available in the rest of the world when so many people are drinking. Um, just kind of worked out as perfect timing. When I grew up, everybody was drinking the American adjunct lagers, and occasionally right. you'd see the Sam Adams pop up down here and that kind of stuff. That sort of European influence started to hit me about the same time that American craft beer was really ramping up past Sierra Nevada and Dogfish. Um, and we started blogging and doing that kind of stuff and home brewing and um, worked in some, dis- did some scent distillation stuff, dabbled in 
uh, the craft cocktail side of things and kind of bounce all over the place trying to just find an entry into the, like a professional entry into the personal hobby and curiosity of kind of exploring those things pretty much where you guys are you yeah know, it's yeah i didn't do a podcast but we did a number of blogs and just kind of like inventing things and it's a great doorway to yeah you're saying this as if it's like i'm thinking it every morning when i wake up it's another person saying hey we just found it we really jeff and i had no idea how i love the friendliness of it but i didn't realize how open everybody's gonna say come we want you to you know either interview we want you to watch us homebrew and everybody's saying hey i have a guy who homebrews you should go over i'm like well we don't really do homebrewing we're not (laughs) getting into that well shit maybe i should because i'm really fascinated by it in no way did I ever think of brewing when we got, act- yeah, we did this and said, all right, you're going to be the host. And I was like, yay, I get to hear my <laughs> voice all the time. That sucks. But then I went, no, I love meeting you guys. And it's been amazing because everybody's been so extremely friendly. We're going into our second month already and January flew by and we've made so many good friends and you guys, you know, thank you. I mean, thank oh, you for opening your doors for thank us you to for be coming here. In. Oh, this yeah, is awesome. Yeah. So we talk about people having bottles and i you guys carry bottles here you have a huge fridge system here uh what bottles do we have here is it and who picks the beers that we have there that's not yours um we started out with a lot of out-of-house bottles as you mentioned and we talked about a little earlier um we started off with only a couple of beers on draft here because our old system didn't could support yeah, yeah we could only do so much and we had a longer transition period into this location than we planned so we had a number of um bottles from all over i think keith was our original bar manager over here and he was doing a lot of selection he's very much has been involved in the same european and craft beer clubs kind of before anybody else is into it he's a little older than us and um, has a very good head for where these things emerged from and kind of made those selections on behalf of us kind of he was the guy that was into Cantillon before everybody else. Right, was. yeah. He's our... <laughs> there is that, there's always that guy. <laughs> he's our either, guy. Either so. he's drinking there or he's working there. Yeah. Like you said, you volunteered first, you know, so yeah. having that knowledge. And yeah. these days we got um, Shane, who's been here for, been a part of Hourglass for a long time. Um, he helps us out in the back as well, but um, these days he's moving um, more and more into kind of the general manager role of the, um, of the tap room, and so he started doing the ordering um, now, as you said, we've pared back a lot of that stuff, but um, he makes sure that we do have some some fun things around. Um, also brings in some some like the wines from uh, Quantum Leap right down the road and um, and their cider, um, and then also some of the like, the the more sweeter ciders that uh, that people seem to like. Um, you know, we get there's a lot of people who don't like beer and they, but mm-hmm. and so we want to make sure that they can still come in uh, with their friends who do like beer and still enjoy themselves. So. We keep a lot of that stuff around. It's so good to see Quantum Leap really becoming everywhere. I mean, you're the four out of five that has Quantum Leap. And the only reason why Cigar City doesn't have it is it's not around the area. Yeah. Yeah. So Cigar City is our only episode. doing some really good work over there. Oh, yeah. Obviously, their ciders are killer. Mm -hmm. Um, Matt won a couple of awards for it. Which Matt never thought he would do. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, uh, I met Matt. He's clo- our sound mixer. He's really close. He's in the family. And when Matt was bringing over some uh, ciders to a baby shower, 
I was amazed. Like the things he's doing over there. It's yeah, good it's, stuff. It's I love that they're stuff. doing a lot more traditional stuff to kind of yep. lay the foundation in a world where so many ciders are kind of artificially sweetened and flavored. Mm-hmm. The very natural approach of what they're doing is very appealing to me. The dry hop cider is killer. And now they're getting to play with some stuff. They were, um, I think they're either recently launched or are getting ready to launch some peanut butter cider and yeah, they are. some interesting yeah. crazy yeah. stuff that's just a little more mad scientist fun. I actually in one of our tanks right now we have a collaboration um, with them that we're super excited about. Awesome. Good. Um, so we're that'll be out in the next couple weeks sometime. Are we allowed to say the flavor or? Uh, it's apple. We, apple? Um, okay. Yeah, we have um, their cider base um, and then we did kind of like a a reddish kind of ale. Um, we just kind of, we wanted to do something. Um, we were less concerned about making it a specific beer style as we were about matching um, what they brought to the table. Awesome, good. Um, so it's just winding down now. Um, hopefully we'll have Norman up here soon. Uh, hopefully Matt too. And That's um, awesome. have yeah. them try it because um, it's turning out pretty nice. It's got a nice big apple nose and then has kind of a beer finish, so it should be a kind of a fun hybrid. Good, I'm excited. So we talk about beers that we can find here. Where can we find you guys outside of uh, the tap room? Are we able to uh, yet? We're actually, yeah, we're distributed statewide through Progressive, so uh, they're kind of the Shelton catalog for Florida. So yeah. right now, a lot of our accounts are kind of those Uber craft beer bar markets, bottle shop kind of guys. They're starting to spread out into some larger accounts that are more regularly accessible but it's kind of a hold up on our side at the same time we're, the volume that we're putting out is sort of right in between that magical growth stage of we're not big enough to be on every shelf in every grocery store and still occupy the spaces we'd like to right. in that more craft niche so we're hoping to get there in the next year or so but that's part of our new expansion plan but right now it's going to be a lot more your big C's and shamrocks around town and then um the Tampa market's actually been amazing to us. Oh, nice. We're, um, we're there. Dalen Witch is a huge supporter of ours. Okay, and good. They're really cool guys. I'm sure there's... Unfortunately, I'm a lot less qualified than our sales guy to tell you where we are all over the place, but um, we're just starting to spread out into Gainesville and Tallahassee and um, been very well embraced by a lot of the different local breweries and cool pubs and yeah, stuff around we see state, you out so, and about. We love yeah, it. Yeah. We just started canning a few months ago and... Right now, we just have our brown ale and our Heffen cans, but we're getting ready to add on our uh, Morlock Milk Stout. And then That's hopefully awesome. as the year progresses, we'll start to have a few more of our like sour and fun IPAs and some yeah. Berliners and stuff so, like that. So let's, let's talk about this because we are expanding. Uh, we said third phase. This is crazy. You guys have... You're still a baby. This, this, this brewery really still is a baby. And we're expanding to a third phase. And... Sour glass. We can yeah, talk about uh, that. We've, we've been uh, very fortunate in that we've had a lot of community support. Um, we grow very organically because we don't have a big investment scheme. We literally have our two two of our three original owners, um, their family, and as the money becomes available, we grow awesome. <laughs> when we can. So yeah. we're a little slower growing than some folks are, but we've been fortunate to have their support since we took over, and they've really just kind of doubled down on what they've allowed us to do which let us open up our sour and wild program we added our uh, 20 barrel oak fooder a number of months ago 
that's cranking out. Again, I guess that's something I neglected and the what's available. Our sour and wild beers are available now in bottles. Right. Um, I'm kind of glad you did it because yeah. now we get to bring <laughs> yeah, it up and the, talk so, about it. So. We have a really fun, uh, actually just released into distribution and released in the tap room a little earlier than that, a barrel fermented blueberry sour where we literally just decanted wort hot from the um, oil, kettle. oil kettle and <laughs> took it across to right into barrels, pitched on them and let them develop for pretty close to two years, a year and a half, two years. Um, and just added blueberries to every phase of the equation we possibly could. Yeah. Um, we have a big focus on real whole ingredients and trying to make sure everything that's going into what we're doing is hand-processed fruit that shows up that way. So um, we just literally pureed a couple of hundred pounds of blueberries and added them as we felt to develop character and let the yeast do their work. And it's kind of a fun situation over there because we get to kind of steer things but it's almost like cooking meat you have to learn to leave it alone let it do it. yeah <laughs> and just let it develop it its yeah. own thing and make sure your timing is right and it's more paying attention than it is messing with it a whole lot but um the food has given us a lot more dimension and obviously gives us a lot more of another 20 barrels of space to play with so we get to crank out with a lot more regularity, the saisons and a lot of the stuff that Matt brought to the table, he's impassioned about with the wild beers. Um, it's yeah. So <laughs> I'll let him talk about that. Well, we said the word uh, we said the word character uh-huh. really quick because I like that. Um, we have Violet. She's yes. a character. Yes, she so is. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the. Let's talk about Violet. Yeah. What, what we're drinking Violet there. Violet has an older brother whose name is Augustus, who's actually going to come out probably second in the equation. But the trend you may notice developing is that we really like Willy Wonka. Um, right. So we get Violet is but Violet Beauregard influence. Um, Augustus is the little German kid who drowns in a lake of chocolate. Um, doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't drown. drown. <laughs> just appears to. <laughs> I take the darkest timeline approach. Um, but yeah, so we have three beers themed around the children, and then we had a fourth beer that we had originally been influenced on to do on the Schnozberry angle, unfortunately. Fortunately for them, unfortunately for us, but it's a very good beer, so I'm not too sad about it. Uh, found out the Green Man up in Nashville has a Schnozberry beer, so right. we've kind of taken ours as a tribute and named it after Gene Wilder. Nice. It'll be Gene Good. instead. Um, That's but beautiful, though. it's kind of our wild card of the equation where we literally scoured the web and local retailers and everybody else we could find for all of the weirdest berries we could get crammed into a beer. And so it's a giant melange of everything yeah. berries. <laughs> it has about 15 different type of berries in it. Um, I mean, they're regular, they're normal ones like um, blueberry and raspberry and strawberry, but there's also, I mean, acai, um, there's goji. Look um, who made it to the the party. (laughs) Violet's coming. Violet Violet made it. (laughs) Um, There's also goldenberry. um, Thanks so much, man. And, um, you know, we're we're still not done. We'll probably do another uh, real big burying. with with something final fun, stainless, um, yeah. yeah, in stainless right before. I mean, uh, not right before, about a month before we put it out um, okay. to give it a little bit more of the fresh berry character. So here's the violet. Uh, cheers, guys. Cheers. cheers. Like that. There we go. Let me take a quick sip. 
And we say no flavor extracts, right? Never, I, never, never any, never. E never any flavor extracts. Never any artificial coloring, uh, anything like that. If we can't, if we can't do something using 100% natural, real ingredients, then we won't do it. Um, and if that doesn't get someone in their car right now as they're listening, or are, if they are listening in the car, thank you for listening. Uh, like Drive to safe. get over here, you know, to to try your beer. I mean, I'm proud that you guys do this. I really am. Thank you. And I'm looking at your your list that you have up here. You have three three TVs that thank you Untap for sponsoring this. The, what you guys are doing, but you have all your beers up there, and all these that I see between Sexy Grandma, the Morlock that we talked about earlier, and you have uh, the Dragon Paw. You have the Cout, which still I'm going to always, as a <laughs> Liverpool fan, think it's Dirk Cout. Uh, you know, you have so much going on here. And you're just making it natural, like from from real ingredients. And I thank you guys for that. That's people need to taste that flavor, and that's awesome. Thank that you. We amazing. we appreciate that. It's always um, it's a lot more work, um, mm -hmm. and you know, it, and it doesn't. The average person coming in probably won't know that, but I mean, for Kwamea River, which is our um, our lychee Berliner, yeah, that was I did. Over the course of a couple of days, 20 hours of processing lychee, and everybody else helped when they could. Um, Literally came in, cut on branches, like the fruit's still hanging on the leaves and stems and everything. So they are a delicate little fruit that has like a sandpaper coating and a big hard <laughs> nut, and it's essentially like a flower wrapped around that as tight as humanly possible. So really? your thumbs are like bleeding by the end of that time period. So. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't the most fun thing, but we were happy with the the, uh, the end result, and that's pretty much what happens every time. Is um, you know, I start hollering about whose idea was this, and um, and then somebody points out that it was prop that I probably had a hand in that. And, yeah, uh, there's usually a little cursing involved. Uh, we shucked a ungodly quantity of oysters for oyster stout. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, the, oyster the dragon right. fruit. Berliner we have on my hands are like purple to the elbows for like five days. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I hate seafood, honestly. Um, oh, really? Know, and living in it. Florida yeah, and too. having lived outside of Boston and Maine and, and even yeah. in Oregon with the with salmon the, and everything. Yes. I, I've lived in all these places that are amazing for seafood. Um, I can't stand it. I <laughs> I can't tell you why. It's just the smell alone is is, really? uh, is horrible to That's me. That's so funny to me. And I spent about uh, I don't know. I, I shucked several hundred oysters um for sexy grandma uh, you guys was... need your own like time-lapse camera <laughs> for all these like because uh, does anybody really want to sit there for 20 hours no but for 10 minutes to see what you guys are doing and how much you're doing to see that's amazing that you you will shuck all those yeah and, we usually try to sit in the peel. window so everybody can watch us suffer yeah. through it so. <laughs> it's just watch our torture and it's not though i mean uh, I, it's the fun part like as much as yeah, we are cursing in hour six like it's there's nothing more fun to me. I always say, like, working with barrels is magical. Working with real ingredients. Like, when you get 10 boxes of fruit come in and you get to cut them up, like, I don't know, maybe I should have been a prep chef. But I love that kind of stuff. I'm too slow to be a prep chef. But <laughs> um, Your community, too, that I see is unbelievable. You, you guys on Yelp have an amazing community. Uh, I see on Facebook everybody really... I feel if you ever needed the volunteer help too, it would oh, probably have, be there. We get a lot of volunteer help. Yeah. We have some of the best regulars in the world. Um, should probably have a few seats in res reservation for a number of them. But yeah, for if sure. we have bottling projects or anything going on, 
we have frequently picked up the phone when other staff wasn't available and called That's them awesome. and have them here within 15 minutes. It's amazing that call me. People I would love to. Yeah. I would love to see part of we'll it. We'll take you up on it. it. That'd, that'd be, be careful. That'd be awesome. <laughs> no, because you guys do the speakeasy Sundays here, where it's like passwords. Like people have you have fun with who's coming in your customers yeah. that come into these doors. And I think Speakeasy Sundays is such a good idea because it just gets people here. Again, you have this big space. You have so much room to fill at any time. Uh, that's kind of a playback to our old location as well. Like we are very much the house, the building behind a house that's on the corner where nobody knew we were. So right. had a very big Speakeasy feel and we've kind of tried to carry that tradition over here. But we've uh, just to to go back to um to how important the regulars are. I mean, it's we wouldn't be able to grow if it weren't for the um, exactly. the local community supporting us. Um, we have some people who have been here literally since day one. Um, actually, right now we have three beers on tap that are named after regulars here. Um, you not know, to we, count. <laughs> not to keep going back not to, to him. count. Um, <laughs> But Frankie Rock is the nickname for uh, um, one of the guys. We have a lot of the people from Agui uh, Rock Climbing Gym that come in regularly. And um, okay. he would always, okay. this guy, um, his name isn't Frankie Rock, but that's his nickname. And um, he used to always come in and he'd always get one of our beers and then he'd get a Hefeweizen. We had never really done um, a true Hefeweizen before. Um, so when it came time to do one, uh, we didn't think that there was no, it couldn't have had any other name. And... Um, Mike Chuck, our pale ale, um, is named after a guy, Chuck, who Brett, for, I think, two or three months, uh, thought his name was Mike. Yeah, he's a pretty um, soft-spoken, really cool guy. He's just easygoing. Way Takes too, it all in stride. Way too nice and polite <laughs> to point out that that wasn't his name. Um, so, That's so good. So now he's known as Mike Chuck. And so then, he uh, is Chuck? His yeah, name is Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the, our newest, uh, I think it's our newest spirits. If yeah. not, it's right up there. Um, our Pops Heirloom Cream Ale. Um, a guy who uh, I actually don't know his real name, but his... Um, we have a regular Troy, and his, him and his dad come in regularly. And he's and, uh, pops. He's yeah. pops. And, yeah. Um, he anytime we've had a cream ale on, he's always uh, that's always been his go-to. And um, so we've kind of brewed this one with him in mind. Used um, 100% craft malt from a Pilot Malt House. Yeah. And then we got some um, heirloom blue corn, um, and just to make a nice, easy drinking, smooth cream ale. And um, and we had to name that one after him. Um, so funny. And he gave it his seal of approval the other day. So, oh, nice. <laughs> that was yes. Yeah. It is. Like, I'm sure you're anxious as it's like the brand new beer. And you're like, oh boy, this is terrible. Like, yeah. like, well, this is mine. Like, oh, you don't want to hear that. While we take the beer very seriously, mm-hmm. we've never really seen the value in taking ourselves too seriously. I mean, I know Garrett over at Red Cypress has mentioned it on other occasions, but we also sort of detest the term brewmaster. I mean, not that we detest it. There are certainly guys on this earth who are brewmasters, but those guys aren't us yet. Um, We've been doing this a few years. Right. It's not fair to compare myself to somebody who has a lifetime or is a fourth generation Lambic brewer from Belgium. Like that's ridiculous to me, so. Well, what we're seeing right now, uh, as you guys know, I I mentioned earlier, what we, I mean, before when we were doing a tasting and, I mentioned Dirk Kout. I'm a huge European football fan. And for some reason, there was this, shit, I'll just say it, Heineken commercial where Benicio Del Toro, good job, buddy, uh, has this commercial where he goes, it takes 15 years 
to be a brewmaster for Heineken. And I think to myself... And they brew with Cascade hops. Do they really, actually? That's their new ad, yeah. That's their new ad? That's what they're advertising. And I go to my... I say to myself, I'm like, okay, so it takes 15 years for there with the same ingredient for decades. And I think to you guys, for, like, on day 15, you already have enough creativity. Like, not 15 years, but you could have, like, day 15 to where you're making... And Brewmaster, yeah. Um, Have I made the accident? Of course, of saying Brewmaster, head brewer, uh, you know. There are things that I just go like, okay, don't say this. And it comes down to also, I respect you guys, but then the community can get into like the snobbery as well. Well, there's there's no, I mean, it's certainly not discounting like Anheuser-Busch, for example, makes the same beer, tastes the same in every place they make it, everywhere they go. Like there is a skill set and an amount of science and knowledge involved in doing that that is far beyond my ability. but it's a different approach. It's yeah. I try exactly. to make my beers as close as I can to each batch, but we are working on a small scale and a very hands-on approach. There's no robot in my equation. I am. I treat myself as an artisan, and those guys are scientists, and if, if they I, are geniuses. No discounting. Yeah. That. No, sure. And but, if I wrote this, if I wrote this commercial, it'd have been like, yeah, maybe we want to not go 15 <laughs> years because you think about it, it is down to. The same, the same science. Da, 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 da. So, and again, no, I'm not discounting, but you know, can't wait to see you guys in 15 years then and see what's what's really going on. So, how long have you been here? We said I've been here give just it about three year? and a half years. Three and a half now, years. Yeah. Okay, and Matt, how about you? How long have you been here? Um, Did you come in together? Over, no. Okay. No. Uh, Mike, Mike was here first. Okay. And then, um, I think I've been here. It's got to be a little over two years. Yeah. Um, and how did that partnership work out? Let's talk about you guys getting together. I like we this. work pretty well together. It was one of those, like, I think initially people were like, what's up with two head brewers? But mm-hmm. we kind of complement each other very nicely. Uh, he's a names and dates guy, and I'm not. <laughs> and we kind of just kind of keep each other in check. We both have a really high work ethic. We both just kind of, we have brothers. We have a brotherly relationship. Yeah, it's like... We function well. It's, we give each other our space when it's needed, and we. Older can, brother yeah. or younger brother? I'm the brother? middle brother. You're the middle brother. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm the younger. You're the younger. Okay. Young, younger brother. What's um, one of the things I think that we do um, that one of the best things about uh, the relationship that we have is we're able to um, one of us will we always come up with these really kind of odd ideas, um, and. It'll be important. Like we'll we'll get this great idea, and then so say I'll bring something to the table, and then Michael be able to kind of curb it back to where it's something that is um, a nice drinkable beer, even though it might sound ridiculous. And the same thing will happen um, the other way. So we'll we'll sit down, and um, I mean most of our recipes are actually just us sitting down together. And yeah. what do you what okay, do you think good. about this base recipe or this base grain? What do you think about when do you want to add this hop? Um, but then there are also some where it's mostly Mike writing a recipe, and then I'll look it over and either say, that's awesome, let's do it, or what do you think about maybe changing this to that? And, um, and again, it worked, that works the same way, um, the opposite direction as well. But um, honestly, it's, it's really fun. Uh, it has helped me learn a lot um, because it's obviously no two brewers are going to approach the same um, no, never, anything right. the same way exactly um so to always be able to have that other um kind of a, approach and viewpoint every time i do anything is um 
it's really made me think about brewing um, I like differently that. Nice. than I would have definitely just on my own. have arrived places. I don't think either of us would have stopped if we hadn't sort of had both viewpoints and we both have strong opinions about certain things that the other doesn't, and it just kind of it works. Has there ever been a beer that, let's say, Matt, you you say, this is it, I can't wait to try this, and that you kind of pull pull the plug, say no, no, or other no, vice I don't versa? Think, I don't know that ever? we've ever really hard pulled the plug on anything. We usually end up more tempering things back to where it's more agreeable to everybody or a lot of times things will evolve into something completely different. I'd say more we end up kind of like going off into beer nerddom creating the most ridiculous freaking thing we can and then going yeah we can't do that (laughs) (laughs) so let's like see if we can do that and occasionally we just do it and put a ridiculous number of apricots in 18% beer or a goat's or a sheep's head (laughs) I always call it a goat's head and I'm always wrong it's a sheep's head (laughs) Um, so we like to have fun those tend to be smaller batches and your beers are a lot of fun you come in here you're not going to taste the same beer twice, really. You know, you have so much, again, looking at these two TVs where you have enough where you could taste for a week if you need to. Yeah, we definitely two beers. Sort of, we obviously try to keep a few cores on for the guys that kind of come in and have that this following. Is I love this. But doing this we for pride ourselves years. on the diversity of our menu. It's what keeps us interested, honestly. It's that intellectual curiosity of going forth and being like, well, I don't want to make Heineken all day for 15 years. <laughs> I want to go and Take make that, something fun that's a new thing, and maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't get made again, maybe it becomes a core beer down the line. But we have a lot of freedom again. Credit to Brett and Lance on that. Like nice, yeah. They have given us a huge amount of freedom in being able to do whatever we like with that, and it's very rare that I... Initially, we sort of had this, like, I've never spent this much of anybody else's money (laughs) approach to things (laughs) at a time. And I don't get a lot of no's. Occasionally, I'll get a line of questioning. Is that because of the success that you guys have had? Do you feel that's why? They just have a lot of trust in us. Um, Yeah, That's good to have. Hopefully, we've uh, earned it a little bit. I think you have, yeah. Again. I mean, we've told them we want to do things, um, and you could see that they didn't necessarily think it was a good idea um, but they'll still let us do it um, because they have trust in in, um, our line of thinking. They know that sometimes we're better at creating than we are at explaining ourselves before it's done. Um, In one example is kind of the the sour IPAs. That was something that that I really wanted to do and Mike was kind of on board. Um, I mean but it was he was, I think at that point he could have gone either way, um, and that. But and I brought it up in a meeting, and everybody was kind of like, "Yeah, I don't know if that's a good idea." Mm, um, okay. And I basically kind of it was one I had a strong feeling about, and I said, "Okay, well, I'm just putting this on the next order, and then when it gets here, we'll have the grain and the hops, and nobody will be able to stop me." <laughs> <laughs> so we did um, sneaky wombat, and um, and a, that was the first one that we did in the. Reaction to it was great, and everybody's like, oh, "Okay, this is what you meant." Okay, yeah. good, and good. It's, like, it's definitely just... an extreme combination of flavors in a lot of people's minds, but it's very interesting to take those types of beers out to beer festivals, and people are like, "I don't really like IPAs," and "I don't really like sours," but that one thing will help change their mind on it. Um, it's amazing, actually. The sour IPAs have kind of been one of the most eye-opening approaches of going out and having people just immediately. 
rethink right, what they consider those beer styles to be, and it's always fun to kind of see someone's mind change. Well, if I have a collection of, let's say, uh, ingredients that it's going to make an amazing Indian dish, like an Indian-flavored like curry, and, and if I put it out in front of you and I said, oh, just imagine what this is going to taste like, you really can't, because I don't cook it. It's not something I right. frequent to say, oh, yeah, I have to trust you to make it, and when I taste it, that's it. That, that the proof is in the pudding at that point, and I, I could see where it's like, no, no, we won't have any of that. And so then you have coriander and turmeric, yeah. <laughs> and you're just going like, <laughs> okay, those are the flavors now I can. And then when you taste it, it's like, well, shit. Well, that's what you had in mind, and that's I love that. I think I that's, can, with those, if we had gone a more West Coast IPA style base, then it probably wouldn't have done as well. Um, if it was super bitter and had you know some hot care or some hot flavor on top of the sour, then it probably would have just been really abrasive. Um, so we did it, um, you know, in my head I had the, I, I knew what I was aiming for the whole time, but right. like I said, I probably was not very good at articulating it. Um, so we do a lot of late edition stuff for that and really just get the, these big, um, fruit or candy flavors out of these hops. And, um, and any styles you're looking to make in, in the future? Is there something that you're like, hey, this haze thing is crazy? Or is there, oh boy. My eternal like half joke is that we're going to make a Danziger, which is a historic style that is essentially boiled down to almost tar and then left to f- open ferment into a moldy sludge that is apparently extremely hard to digest. High gravity and yeah, probably. It's like how to ruin your kettle 101. But uh no, I mean, we're always bouncing around. Like, we tend to frequently have on a historical beer style and then an experimental one, and we kind of just are always scouring between where we have a space to throw in a new recipe, something fun. Uh, we have a lot of little fun craft maltster projects. Uh, we were fortunate to meet Chris Schooley from Troubadour Malt. Um, he was on the board of directors. He may have been head, I don't recall correctly, of the Craft Maltster Guild at the Craft Brewers Conference last year. And something I've always been interested in. I went up and visited the guys at Riverbend in Nashville who are doing floor-turned craft malting the way it was always done kind of a thing. And so we've done a project with Pilot for the cream ale. We Our fooder currently has a Riverbend rye um, table saison in it right now. They've actually had a lot of really cool approach to reaching out to local agricultural and farmers, and they kind of resurrected uh, the Renza Bruzzi strain of rye as a cover crop for some of the farmers up there. So they have some actual heirloom wheats and ryes and six rows and stuff that are kind of like distinctive to the south. So that was a fun influence. Uh, Chris over at Troubadour, hand roasted. He's a very highly acclaimed coffee roaster as okay. well. Nice. And um, his roast malts are absolutely insanely gorgeous. So we did a really fun uh, collaboration with them that's a uh, Schwartz beer, and okay. we reached out to a local German bakery and used their pumpernickel bread in it. So yeah, that was oh, uh, that's awesome. That was backhouse. So thank you guys. That yeah. that bread was amazing, and also that the uh, the malt from Trubudo was probably the best smelling malt I've I've yeah. ever uh, come was... in contact with. You open that that bag, and it was just holy shit. This guy really knows what he's doing. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those like next level guys where you're just like holy cow. So. And we talk about history, so teach me because, again, I see the kaut. But you mentioned last week that the kaut actually, what is the, the kaut? It's a, it's a style uh, of beer, Yeah, right? it's a so. Dutch farmhouse style. Because I um, never see that. I never see that out. Actually, it's uh, 
it's a primarily oat-based beer. Um, I don't know exactly how to explain it. And is it something that's always on? Yeah, no, it's not always on. It's It's definitely in our little historical beer project squadron, but it's a dominantly oat beer that was kind of done in the 1400s. I think it's 45% oat and like 25% wheat. Okay. Um, So it's... That's insane um, yeah. when, you, when you look at pretty much any other beer. And, um, and you know, very there's arguments about whether it's hopped or not. Right. Um, it's a low ABV, Yeah, we too. kind of it's lower took it. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of, like, historical influence on whether or not they were more of, like, a Gruet-style beer, which is a completely unhopped or herbally hopped beer. Um, we used some sweet gale in it to, and kept our hop profile, like, a very low IBU to kind of more reference that like mythical style of it um some of the a lot of the bjcp and world beer cup guidelines for that sort of stuff are really focused on what commercial versions were because you can actually document them a lot more um, easily and reasonably so as that style sort of developed it became more of a documented as a hop beer but we always try to kind of go back to like what would somebody in the 1400s be drinking right. kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so we tried to hit it as hard on the head as we could. So you got to have to cosplay. I'm sure we could create like a uh, <laughs> internet forum <laughs> argument pretty easily right. one way or the other. But um, the same thing we did a Norwegian farmhouse sale. Good. Keep, um, yeah, more of the historic. Let's we had a contact over in uh, Oregon actually forage, um, blanking out, juniper branches. Okay. And we, they were traditionally fired on alderwood fires. So we, to kind of create some of that alderwood smoke influence, we kind of built our own little malt smoking screen and smoked a portion of the malt over alderwood and then watered the entire beer through juniper branches the way it would have been traditionally done. And then did a, uh, so we awesome. did an extended boil because gen- yeah. traditionally those, these Nordic farmhouse ales would be, um, they would be uh, boiled for, anywhere from four to six hours um so they're a, a nice like ambery color but a lot of that was just caramelization of sugars in the boil kettle itself and then um the yeast that we used was um there's the way that they would uh, traditionally do it is they would have this kind of braided wooden hoop and they would put that into the fermentation and when they were done when the beer was done fermenting, they would take it out, let it dry, and then pretty much just hang it on a nail in their house. Really? And yeah, it's then like a the family heirloom time, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, they'd be passed down from generation to generation. And so the next time they um, they brewed, they would, you know, go through the whole process again, fire up the alderwood, and um, they'd make a juniper infusion. And then um, the last thing they'd do to ferment was they would take this wooden hoop again and then toss it in, and there was enough yeast on there left to, to re-ferment it. Um, so those that type of yeast is called uh, Quebec. So Quebec. that's okay. So that's why well, we've um, seen that word. Yeah, and there was yeah. very much like historically a family beer style. Like there was not a huge commercial version of that beer. They would have varied a lot even between households. They were kind of just like family recipes. So the style guideline is fairly wide. Um, if, if you can even yeah, consider there's not, there being yeah, one. <laughs> they're kind of starting to firm up some of the historical stuff. But If we could um, pass down like anything from us, who would that be? Like If there's like a recipe that you know that, all right, I'm stepping down as a, a brewer or, God forbid, something happens, you're not here anymore. Who, who's somebody that you would like to be a mentor for? Or is there somebody that you could see on the horizons kind of stepping up? Um, 
I mean, in-house or... Or in-house, out-house, like in your own family or, or best friend uh, or... And I'll take that as an opportunity to shout out to our... Uh, he was our assistant brewer. He's recently been elevated to brewer, but uh, Matt is our other Matt. Um, is, yeah, he's come a long way in the last year and yeah. he's fi- finally getting up to the point where he's brewing batches on his own and awesome. we trust yeah. him and he's been a really hard worker and busted his ass for us yeah, he, so he's really earned our trust and does an amazing job for sure we the the two of us couldn't do everything that we get done uh without matt he he works his ass off and um and has earned every step of the way for sure um toad right um is one that he was one of his recipes uh, oh, okay. just a traditional porter yeah um and he did an, an amazing job on that i thought it's um it, it's probably not what a lot of people think of as porters these days because a lot of people will make a stout and call it a porter yep. because that line is yep. real blurry. It and is. people, when they get a dark beer these days, tend to want it to be motor oil thick and sweet. Um, and But traditionally, that's not really what porter was. Um, right. It was. It's almost closer to like what a brown ale is these days, with a, except a little bit roastier. And um, so he did a, a, a really good job of making a uh, just a traditional dry porter, um, and he killed it. I think yeah. it's interesting. I'm, I, I can I can see that maybe he looks up to you guys because a lot of people, you guys are these historians. You you really respect how beer is supposed Absolutely. to be made and what it's supposed to be. And a lot of people just go, let's cut corners here and let's hurry up and let's make it. And not saying most, I, you know, but there are out there, and I, I could see like maybe he's like following your footsteps i think that's awesome he's also, he's um you know he had been homebrewing for um i think before he met either one of us even yeah. and um and he he's been the same way um he was uh, a natural fit he was essentially running the tap room um and wanted to move into the back and um to do that obviously if you're managing the tap room I mean, and um getting tips uh, you make a good amount of money and had to take a little step back in that um, right. to even move into the brew house and he was willing to do it because he was passionate about it but um i love know, when that takes over i love when the passion takes over because it tells you guys good that's exactly who we want back here it says definitely it says uh, a lot yeah. i mean you don't <laughs> it makes it sound bad because you don't want to say you have to make less money to show that you're uh <laughs> that you're committed but um, but when the only when we can't afford to pay any more than a certain amount, because again we are a family, uh, you know, just independently owned brewery where all of the growth is just the same money being recycled back into it. Um, you know, some we can't afford to necessarily pay uh, pay people um, as much as we would like to right. all the time. Um, you know, it, it's and he's been given a raise um, a couple times, I believe, since. Good being friend. brought yeah. back there um but yeah it does show them show you just how committed they are with the expansion are we going to need more people more hands on yeah deck, we're right? actually after this interview we're doing a number <laughs> of our own interviews <laughs> no no you got <laughs> quite a while but no, we set up uh yeah long story short we are interviewing for uh, another brew house position um Probably kind of looking at ways out yeah it'll be the first of a few and as we expand in the new phase but we like to kind of take on one person at a time train them in our own process i'm sure a number of people will tell you even moving between brewery to brewery everybody has their own way of doing things and you kind of got to get steeped in the company culture before you can 
I was going to ask that. Helm is it, the ship. Is so. it is it better to have somebody who's never really done something like this, like, or is it just better to have somebody that knows mostly what they're doing? Probably but. depends a little bit on where their ultimate position ends up. I mean, there are definitely people that know more about larger scale brewing than I do by a lot. So. As we get to that phase, some guy who's got a lot of experience bringing on a big system might be very valuable to us. At our current phase, we're kind of looking, obviously that's no discount against them, but we're kind of looking more for the passion and looking for people that are willing to kind of come in and be part of our family as opposed to just looking for their next position. Right. So, yeah, that's we're, good. We're all really close here. Um, even our, our bar staff has an incredible um, turnover rate. I mean, we... We keep people in a, for a service position longer than it. I, I've worked in restaurants um, a lot of my life, um, restaurants and bars and things like that, and I've never seen the retention rate that this place has. It's it's amazing. So um, I want to – we're going to dedicate this episode because we know Brittany just uh, left after – Departed, yes. yeah, yeah. after three years, right? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, and you, you got – like you said, it's a family. What's that like when someone leaves Air and Hourglass? definitely hard like we've spent a lot of time with her she was actually working with us in the back as well as managing the tap room some nights and um we recently lost uh, another one of our bartenders mara as well she's moved up to uh north carolina i believe north carolina yeah asheville or i think she's more in like a rock climbing section because that's definitely one of her passions but uh yeah it's with frankie it's a big hit (laughs) you know it's like as much as being a small company, everybody wears a lot of hats. So, yep. um, Brittany, for instance, was our events coordinator. She was a taproom manager. She worked with us a day of the week in the back. She worked in a number of positions that were important. So that makes anybody want to work here, though. Yeah. That makes that you're not just hand, like down to one role. It, it just means that wow, I'm part of this family to build, build, build. I want to be proud of that. If something amazing happens, like an event or a beer, or just a good day in the tap room. You take pride in that, and I think that's amazing. Which takes us to our brutally honest question. Uh, our producer, Jeff, has a really good friend, Dorsa. She's done some artwork for us. And this is a question we actually should have been asking from the get-go. And we kind of always, how do you ask this? Because they're proud of what they do. But Dorsa asked a question of, if it wasn't brewing, like if you guys weren't here, what would you be doing? Like, what's another, like, what other jobs would you do? And yeah, Well, Michael, I kind of got here. into the brewing thing, and again, I sort of touched on it earlier, but I'm also a really big fan of particularly whiskey and kind of like the history of craft cocktails. Not history of craft cocktails. Historical cocktails, craft cocktails, and for a very long time, I was pursuing a little bit of distillation in. I was pursuing a a pretty high-concept educational bar that would be, like, rooms where we'd walk you through, like, flights of a certain type of liquor so you would be able to taste different absinths, different whiskey kind of thing. So hopefully, if I wasn't here, I would have found a decent investor somewhere along the lines and (laughs) taken that other educational route here and kind of stayed within the passion. I mean, I worked not to toot my own horn too much but i've worked very hard to be here i've done a lot of um volunteering i've undertaken a lot of personal education and it's been my life for a long time we've been eating sleeping and breathing uh 
brewing and alcohol. So and a, and a my liver is probably punishing me for it. Yeah. Yeah. And but, a, pa- a passion for cigars? I, I noticed yeah, that. yeah, I'm a pretty big cigar guy. You, I yeah, guess I have a lot of vices, but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> don't tell my insurance company. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, my Instagram is usually full of that and Siberian Huskies. So I noticed that, yeah. Um, yeah, it's I used eternally to have a- sweeping dog hair off of beer and shirts. <laughs> I used to have a beautiful humidor, and I don't know. I just stopped smoking. I guess our even our winters got hot, where I was like, yeah. Ugh. and we have a beautiful back patio, and I just I just stopped smoking. It's been a while. How about you, Matt? Uh, if it wasn't here, where would you be? There's probably two good, uh, two likely scenarios. Either um, I went to school for photojournalism, um, really enjoyed it, um, and. I thought I was fairly good at it. Uh, And when I first moved down to to Florida, I was doing um, freelance photography, which was amazing. I mean, some weeks, uh, some months, you'd feel like, I'm never, i going to make killer money the rest of my life, and this will be the only thing I ever have to do. And then a whole month goes by where you make nothing. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the nature of freelance. And um, so I ended up picking up a a job um, to try to supplement it, which ended up killing off that part of things because you really need to spend all your time finding jobs um, as a freelancer. Yeah. Um, and I went back into um, the, the restaurant industry where I've done cooking um, off and on for a long time. Um, you know, several times in my life I've gone to a restaurant, got a job, uh, you know, cooking and then found myself um, supervising relatively quickly. Um, so honestly, you know, I would it would probably be either photography or uh, supervising a restaurant somewhere. Yeah, it's definitely another culinary influence on our brewing style there right. as well. So I, I would have been all right <clears throat> being a photographer, but um, and while I love cooking, I'm pretty excited to not uh, have to go in and, and run a kitchen every day. Um, you would think it sounds similar, but uh, the level of competence here is far greater than it has been at pretty much every restaurant I've worked at. Uh, and anytime, I, I don't like to to yell at people or, or be mean. And right. I, I don't really have to do that here. And in a kitchen, I yeah. often had to do that. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine you yelling at anybody. Like, uh, like... there, there are some people who would uh, not be able to imagine me not yelling at them. So. so last question for anybody who's never been here if no someone's never been to hourglass what do you suggest what what is it about here that brings you to work every i think day? the vibe here is really just that come be comfortable in your own skin there's no pretension about what's going on our bar staff is happy to teach you about what you want to learn if you want to just relax and have a beer we'll leave you alone you can come check out cool live music you can play a video game you can just kind of hang with your folks there's a lot of little nooks and crannies to come do your own thing and we're geeks too we realize that not everybody wants to sit at the bar and talk to us so if you have a crew of people you want to sit play a tabletop game or whatever else come do it and if you want to come talk to our bar staff we got a lot of chatty folks behind there right and i would say um i would point back to our beer where you have not to sound uh big-headed or anything but i think we have one of the most diverse um beer menus in the area um, I think we're doing some really fun stuff with, um, you know, the the wild saisons, uh, the farmhouse stuff, and the the true true aged barrel fermented sours on um, on a larger scale than other people are doing it in the area. And, and I uh, love that you could take those home with you. They're yeah. bottled, you know. They're and you can sit on them. They'll age. They should age nicely. Um, and you know, there there are plenty of 
of really good breweries in the area. Um, but I, I do think we're a little different. Um, you know, they, not to say that we're, we're better than everybody or, or anybody else is worse, but I do think that we bring something unique to the table. Um, you definitely stand definitely out. definitely worth coming up and checking out for yeah. yourself. And again, I, like I said, I've seen, I've seen the reviews, and people are very happy with it, and I think that's amazing. So, guys, I thank you so much for this hour. This has been really informative and great. I mean, uh, like, it really means a lot being, this is, like, home to me. So, no, we appreciate yeah. you guys spreading the gospel. It's a pretty awesome thing you're doing. Oh, we, so, we love it, so thank you. We're humbled you. by having people like you up here just uh, willing to take the time to talk to us. So. Well, I'm glad thank I have you. Jeff by my side to do that, who we're going to go uh, hand it over to. So, all right, Jeff, thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, man. How'd it go? Wow. I learned a lot. Yeah. These guys. Oh, yeah. And I, I think everybody who just listened to this episode just went, wow. Yeah. A, why haven't I been there? And I want to talk to them. I really do. And we met a lot of cool people just even as we're done with it. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. a lot of cool people there. I want to give a shout out to Shane, who was behind the bar, man. Thanks yeah. for the hospitality. Uh, that was something that we loved about our time at Hourglass is just how embracing they are as a community, right? They let people volunteer there. Uh, if you're there, the bartenders are, are just there to chat. You know, whether you know about beer or about geek culture or not, they don't care. They don't care. They'll talk. And if if, if you don't want to talk, they're cool with that too. I, like, love, I love the fact. They're totally okay with that. Yeah, you saw the family sitting like a, a few tables over. And they're not kidding when they say there is that many seats there. It is massive, people. You are... More than welcome to take a cut in the corner. And I notice now they have graphic novels there. If you want to read a graphic novel, you have a library there. Enjoy your beer at the library. And we're talking Marvels and DCs, and it gets even independent. You have your Xboxes. You can play. We saw a couple playing there. Um, it's fun. It is a really it's fun, a fun time. Place. It's yeah. an awesome and place. All that artwork. All that artwork. Yeah. From Spaceballs, Dale, uh, Bill and Ted's. And then the, the the whoever they have of the month, their artist of the month, keep it up, guys. Keep it up. Yeah. I do have an action figure for you guys next time I go in. Yeah, so. that's another thing. Like when you're there, you'll just notice it's it's sprawled across the walls. It's hanging from the ceiling. Uh, it's an environment where, you know, you might walk into a brewery and think, "Wow, this is really well produced. Like this beautiful place, right?" But Hourglass is a little bit different. It's more on the fun side. Yeah. And it's definitely a no apologies. Like this is who we are and. I think that's kind of having an incredibly positive impact on their image. Guys, we didn't mention this in the interview, and we haven't talked about it yet, but I also want to thank them for their Pulse beer that they did a few months back. Um, I was at a Corgi meetup, and Jillian and I brought our puppies there. And guys, you had that one Heffenweizen, I think it was, that was unbelievable, and all the proceeds went to Pulse, and I want to thank you for that. So as you guys might know, it's local to us. So thank you guys for that. Yeah, absolutely a major, major yeah, thank you. I forgot about that. So, um, but yeah, honestly, it was amazing. These guys are awesome. Uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot of history, which we need. We need to learn that. And it's been yeah. a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun with them. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite parts of the interview, listening back and, and thinking about it, is, is a quote uh, that Michael said about how when he goes to a festival, he loves to see minds change. And, you know, buddy, to, to think back to our opening, man, like, I don't know if you're ever going to like that song or not, but, but minds do change. So, uh, 
when you look at Hourglass and you look at the passage of time and, and the things that they're doing, and these two brew head brewers, uh, they don't necessarily like to call themselves brewmasters, but uh, the things that these guys are doing are really creative. Um, they're very, very unapologetic in, in the way that they work. And I think it's really creating good work, and it's an incredible community to to visit, and I can only imagine to be a part of. So S- Super so genuine, go. super sincere. Yeah. Go, right? You know, you're right. About that song, I got you, babe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that song. <laughs> yeah, that song. But uh, guys, thank you so much. It, it really was an amazing episode for us, uh, interview, and uh, we hope you like it. Uh, we really do hope you like this episode, because you're going to learn, you learned a lot. You really did, and I, I'm proud of it. All right, man. We'll see you uh, next week, I guess. Yeah, huh? next week. Yeah. All right, guys, next Thursday. The Hourglass episode of What Ails You was produced by Jeff Brennan. Your host and co-producer is Brian Quain. Our music and audio engineering is done by Sadmith. Jillian Quain is our photographer and designer. Special thanks to Michael DeLancet, Matthew Gimmel, and Hourglass Brewing. Additional thanks to Dorsa Vaziri. If you need to find us on the web, just go ahead and uh, Google, search us, What Ails You Podcast. That would be on Facebook, Instagram, and now we even have a Twitter. Also, Download us wherever you can find us at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And that's what ails you podcast. And we'll see you next Thursday.